Okay, we are in, in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And um, I just want to remind you what's going on in the beginning of this chapter. What was said in the beginning of this chapter, that uh, uh, in verse 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he says right up front that we need to have our minds renewed. We need to have our minds renewed. So he tells us right up front, we have our minds renewed because we do not walk as we are supposed to. We need to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need that transformation. So he's unabashed in telling us this. And you may say, well, you know, who does he think he is? God? Well, yeah, he wrote this book. That's exactly right. God is instructing us and he has every right to teach us. But this is for our own good as well. This is why he's teaching and instructing us. So last week we talked about the body of Christ and uh, um, how we are interrelated to the body of Christ. And I'll tell you, I have so much more strength than other people because I'm so tied into the body of Christ. When I when I have decisions to make, I will often go back to people in the church and I'll go back to my pastor and say, what do you think of this situation? I'll go back to people who I admire them for their wisdom. And I'll get someone else's opinion on something who's devoid from the situation. Because when I'm in a situation, that affects me. I'm affected. Uh, uh, you know, I have all these hormones that are running through my body that are making me upset or angry about something. And somebody outside can make a much fairer and more objective decision. I have the body of Christ to go back to. I urge you to to uh, uh, learn to relate to the body of Christ. And just as it says in verse 4 of, John, uh, of, of Romans chapter 12, For just as we are many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so he's talking about this interrelatedness with the body of Christ. If you do not understand what it is to be related to a local church, I urge you to do that. I urge you to do that, to, to get involved with a local church and to really understand these things, to understand what's going on here, uh, uh, the things that, that we, we can relate to, and what it means to be subje- subjected to one another in love, where I subject myself to the leadership of this church in love. If you want people, as you start growing and you start commanding more things, you, you want people to relate to you properly and understand maybe your leadership role in a company or in a corporate situation or in a family situation. You need to be under leadership yourself. You will reap what you sow. If you are not under the leadership of a local body of Christ, under a local church, it will be very hard for you to get your children and your spouse to follow along with you in things. So, so this is really important, really important to learn in the body of Christ. Now we're going to move on. We're going to start reading about the the spiritual gifts, reading in verse 6 of Romans chapter 12. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. Or he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so those are the gifts that he's listing here. He lists, he lists seven gifts here. 
If you add up in the Bible how many gifts there are, there are 19 spiritual gifts. And this is told to us in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 predominantly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. There's also 1 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks some about this, and also Ephesians chapter 4 speaks about this. And if you add all of those up, you you see many of these are overlapped and repeated, but, but you have a total of 19 gifts. He elaborates on only seven here, so those are the only ones that we will deal with here, these these seven gifts. And what I'm going to do is, for most of these gifts, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you examples from my own life of people that I have known that have had these gifts and just share with you what a blessing they were to the body of Christ. Remember, a spiritual gift, the definition of a spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service. Service predominantly within the body of Christ. It's a God-given ability for service. But you will find if you have that gift for service within the body of Christ, that gift can often be exercised in the working world, outside of the body of Christ. So if somebody has a gift of leadership in the body of Christ, it often translates into a gift of leadership outside the body of Christ, in their workplace. That's why if you take a talented pastor... And you put them in any other role, whether it's a grocer or whether it's an accountant, anywhere, they will rise up into a leadership position in that, in, in that setting. Because their gifts, one of the gifts that a pastor has to have is a gift of leadership. And, and they, you will see that exercise. So a talented pastor can do many, many other things. Uh, uh, because they, they bear so many of the spiritual gifts. But if we look at the first one here that he lists, so he, he says, first of all, he says, in verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So he says each person has different gifts. Some of us have a few of the gifts. Others have many of the gifts. Others have one of the gifts. But everybody's got a gift given by God. And you say, well, how much? It's given according to the measure that God has given us. It's given us according often to our faith. But what we clearly see a pattern in in the scriptures is that when we exercise the gift that God has given us, He gives us more ability within that gift. If he has given you a gift and you exercise it, you get more. If you do not exercise it, it never grows and it never develops. It's like the the, the talents, the minas that were given to to these men when when God God, uh, uh, went away and he he committed these to his servants. To the one who was, was given five minas, he got five minas more. To the one who was given uh, uh, two minus or three minus, he got three minus more. To the one who was given one, he didn't do anything with it, and he was dealt with severely for not doing something with it. That's why we must be in a position to exercise the gift. You're able to exercise that gift as you are related to the body of Christ. If you're not in relation to the body of Christ, it's very hard to have that, and you get that in relation to the church, in relation to the body of Christ. And I was a student very much in positions just like you, and I became very close with the pastors, with the leadership of my church, and are related to the activities and the things in the church. When you graduate, then you move to another city, find a local church, and begin to to become aligned with them. And you can tell... Are they teaching the Word of God? Is the Word of God taught? If that's not the, the, the way you like to express your worship, then find another church. I mean, we are blessed in that we have huge varieties of churches, uh, at least in the United States. And so, he says, according to the grace given to us, and I had pointed this out to you earlier, 
that up in verse 3 of the same chapter, he said, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and then he starts instructing us. He had the gift of apostleship. According to the grace given to me, he says, this is what I tell you to do. All right? Now he says, there's this same grace has been given to each one of us for a measure of, of a gift. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We are to exercise the gifts that are given to us. We are to do it. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Now, with this, with this, uh, uh prophecy, I want to look at a, at a particular prophet in the scriptures. And the New Testament prophets were different than the Old Testament prophets. And the New Testament prophets, uh, came with a word of God. They came with predictive words of God. But they were near term. They were near term predictive words of God. And they were authenticated. In other words, they, they watch these things come about to authenticate this prophet. So if you look in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, we're introduced to a, to a New Testament prophet named Agabus. So it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So these prophets in Jerusalem, it doesn't say prophets, it says prophets. So there were group, a group of them, and they were in Jerusalem, and they came down, because Jerusalem is high, even though they're going north into southern Turkey, where Antioch is. That's where Paul's first church was, was in Antioch. And they go down from Jerusalem, because you're coming down off the mountain, even though you're going north, everything is related topologically in that region. And so they're, they're going down, they go to Antioch, and he says, one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And so in the reign of Claudius, the fourth year of his reign in 47 AD, there was a famine all over the Syrian region. Here it says, all the world. It didn't happen all over the entire globe. Very often in the scriptures, the, the scriptures will use the term all the world, and that is the regions in which they lived, the extended regions in which they lived. At the time of this famine, Agabus was actually attacking England at the time, what is present-day Great Britain at the time. This uh, Emperor Claudius was waged in a war. He himself was not in the Syrian region, but the Syrian region had a, a, uh, um, a great famine in 47 A.D., so you see, we're introduced to Agabus. He comes with a near-term prophecy, and and in that it is authenticated. It's authenticated when it takes place. We see him again in Acts 21. In Acts 21, verse 10, uh, it, it, it says, "So so so Paul was praying about going to Jerusalem and the things that, that had to take place there, and Agabus is there. And so Acts chapter 21, verse 10, And as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And so he prophesied that when Paul goes to, that whoever owns this belt, well, duh, that's Paul's belt. Uh, when he goes to Jerusalem, he's actually going to be bound. He's going to be first taken in by the Jews and then turned over to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what takes place. And so this is a near-term prophecy and it's authenticated. Because if you have a far-term prophecy, it's much harder to authenticate that because... 
None of us are going to be alive to, to authenticate that. And so, so, uh, uh, I have met many people that are prophets where, where they, they kind of label themselves as prophets. And, and, uh, um, and I've, I've, I have very mixed feelings about this, but I have to be careful about these mixed feelings because in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. And so I am always open to prophetic words. When people proclaim prophetic words over me, I, I say, I receive it. You know, if it's a good word, you know, God's going to bless you, God's going to use you, I say, I receive it, I receive it. I don't know how to really authenticate it because it's not specific enough. God is going to use me. God is going to bless you. God is going to speak through you. That's not specific enough to really know. And and so it's hard to authenticate that. But yes, that, that has happened in my life. God has blessed me. God has spoken through me. There was another prophet that came to us. Before our first child was born, we didn't... We never discerned, even though they could do it way back then, they could, they could figure out what the sex of the child was because they had ultrasound and, and, uh, uh, although it was not nearly as clear as it is today, but we never discerned the, 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 the sex of our child before they were born. We wanted it to be a surprise. So we were surprised. Right there in the, in, in the hospital room, we were surprised. Well, one prophet comes to me and he says, he says, your child is going to be a son. And, you know, how can I discount that? Because there were times in the Bible where it was revealed before they were born that Abraham was going to have a son, uh, 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 Mary was going to have a son, Zacharias was going to have a son. They revealed that. You know, I don't know any examples in the Bible where they revealed you're going to have a daughter, but it was, you know, but there are examples of that. So it's not like they're doing something that's not biblical. Well, we had then named our child Luke. Well, Luke turned out to be female. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, so that prophecy was not an accurate prophecy. And, and of course, I didn't, I didn't put much stock in that prophet anymore. Uh, because I was given a, a, a near-term prophecy and it didn't come to pass. Now, they only had 50% chance of being right. And so they, they have... You know, so, so to have, have predicted it wrong is really, really bad. You know, because, because half the time you're going to be right anyway. And, and, uh, um, so, so most of the time what you see in the Bible is most of the time God never revealed that. He just let the baby be born and you found out. There's, there's like three times or something or four times in all of biblical history where it was revealed. All the rest of the times it was not revealed, but in any case, he felt it was important to reveal that to me, and it, it turned out to be wrong. But I have to be careful. That's why when people say prophecies over me, they're generally not very specific. They're, they're, they're non-specific enough that you cannot really even tell if they're, if, if they're accurate or not. But what we see in the New Testament prophets is these were near-term prophecies, and they could be assessed. All right, so that's the only one where, where I'm not giving you an example of a person I know because I've, I've had I've had mixed experiences uh, of, with with prophets uh, of a specific name of a person that I know. But let, let's go on to the next one. So so some people have this gift of prophecy, and we're not to despise this, but we're to test it and see if it's accurate. 
And then the next one is uh, um, verse 7, if service in his serving. If service in his serving. This is like the role of a deacon. Now let me tell you about Abraham Funches, who went to the Lord about, went to be with the Lord about four years ago. But we met him, Shereen and I met him, uh, 33 years ago. He was the elder in our church in South Carolina. And this man was amazing. He was a middle-aged black man who would always dress just a beautiful suit to church every Sunday. He would be directing traffic. He would be setting up chairs. Anything the pastor would say, Abraham, could you do this? Abraham, could you do this? And, and Abraham was there when it came to, you know, church fellowship meals. He was rolling out the tables and carrying tables. He'd take off his jacket, stick his tie into his shirt. He was serving and the man loved it. He was the last guy to leave all the time because he was locking up. Abraham loved to serve. He didn't get paid a nickel for this. This was his work of service. Abraham Funches was was a servant. You, when I think of this church and I think of, of, of people who serve, I think of, for example, Harry Craig. Harry Craig is amazing. He used to own a bunch of different uh, um, uh, cleaners, dry cleaners around town. And, and he was still working very hard, laboring for the church as a deacon. Then when he retired... Uh, the church found out that he retired, and that's when they really engage you. And they, they started getting a lot of things dumped on him, and he never got paid for this. He was just a servant. The, the kids would go on, on youth group trips. He'd go and he'd lead the construction projects. He and, and Gary Pennington built these mobile shower units that had like eight showers, and, and it was on a, on, a, on a trailer that can be pulled behind when they go on these mission trips around. I mean, constantly doing things. He invited me and my boys to his hunting ranch along with a bunch of other guys. And, and I remember he would put us, drive us all to the tree stands that he had built. And then he'd go back to the, the hunting cabin and clean up because we had just spent the night there. And God would just bless him. Like, we'd be all in tree stands, you know, waiting for a deer to come. I'd be there with my two boys and, and, uh, um, and Harry would just be driving back in his, his old truck to the, to the to the house there, and some buck would jump out in the middle of a field. So he'd just step out of his car, take his rifle, shoot it, throw it in the back of the truck, and go back. And God would just give him deer. It was just, God was rewarding him for his service. And he wasn't even in the woods. He was just driving back through the field. And and uh, then one night, we're, we're sitting around, and uh, um, you know how guys do it around the campfire, around these hunting things. They just sit around in the evening and talk a bunch of nonsense about you know, all the big ones they've seen and all the ones they've gotten in their lives and everything. And, and uh, then we're wondering, where's, where's Arnold? Arnold was in his late 80s. And, and uh, uh, Ch- I'm sorry, Chester, Chester Arnold. Some of you might remember Chester Arnold. Chester Arnold was a servant. And when, where's, where's Chester? Where is he? Where's Chester Arnold? And it turns out he was in the cabin, we were sitting, and he was mopping the floor. This guy's in his late 80s and he's mopping the floor. Here's a guy, you'd put him in a tree stand, so we'd drop him off, and it, it would be dark when you'd go into the tree stand, and so he'd have his flashlight going up to the tree stand, and it only had a few steps up to it, this particular one that we, we'd set him in. And you could see his flashlight because his hand is shaking, and you'd see this light flashing all around in the woods. And uh, But this guy was such a servant. If you go into the church... And you look at, at uh, these chandeliers that are hanging. Look at, up at those and wonder, how do they clean those things? How do they do that? How do they change the lights? 
So it used to be that they would have to come with a lift and go up on a lift and, and, and move, un, unscrew the pews, move those and go up with the lift. Chester Arnold went up into the attic. He built a system where each one has a winch and you can lower it down. And now you can just load. He built the, the, the prayer, prayer rails up there. He built one of the, uh, one, one, one of the, the, the big, um, uh, the, the big the big podium there, and so th- this guy would just build so much and do so many things for the church, even as an old man. I'm talking about people who just served. They are such a blessing to the body of Christ. This is what he's talking about. Everybody should serve in the body of Christ. There's some that have a particular gift of service and really enjoy doing it. So you do it. And so so let, let's let's go on. So then uh, um, uh, he who teaches in his teaching. And, and so, you know, I was thinking, what example am I going to give? So I'll tell you about myself. I've always been teaching. When I, I moved into a discipleship house when I was in my junior year, beginning of my junior year of college. And we would all share the Bible with one another. And, and I'd always be teaching little Bible studies with guys. And then when I went to graduate school, one of the first people I met was the glass blower. The, the, every chemistry department used to have a person who would f- repair broken glassware and make newfangled things that you would design that they'd have to blow it out of glass because we run all our reactions in, in these elaborate uh, setups of glassware. And and I got to talking with him about the Lord and I had a Bible study. So I said, maybe we'll have a Bible study together. So it was just me and him sitting in his glassblower shop one, one lunchtime each week. And then other people would start coming and would join us and there were some students that would join us. And I just had, had, a, had a Bible study there in the chemistry building. And so I took that gift and I was just using it. I didn't really even envision myself as really being a teacher, but I was always using it. Then I went off to do a postdoc at the University of Wisconsin, and and, uh, there was a Christian guy in the group that I met, and so we started having a Bible study. So I'm teaching a Bible study again there in the chemistry building at the University of Wisconsin. Some students would come, some secretaries would come, and we'd do this one lunchtime each week. Then I went off to Stanford, and and, uh, um, uh, so... We just started another Bible study there in the chemistry department. We'd have this Bible study going. And through this time, the pastors would occasionally give me opportunities to do the main sermon in the church. So I did this, I did this, uh, um, uh, once as an undergraduate. I did it as a graduate student several times in the church there. And as a graduate student, I was leading, leading a, a fellowship group in our home one day a week where Shireen would come in and use her gift of hospitality and serve everybody. And, and I would open up the Bible and I'd start teaching. We'd have these groups of college students come in and I'd teach the Word of God. And you just keep using that gift. God gives you more. He gives you greater and greater opportunities. You use the gifts that God has you. I've never been paid for this service, and you just use the gifts that God has you. That's what he's talking about here. He says, he who exhorts in his exhortation. Exhorting is different than, than teaching. You can have a teacher that can take the Word of God and dissect it, and then package it in such a way that people can understand it. That's a good teacher. Teacher does that. But very often you have a teacher that doesn't really know how to get people stirred up to do it. And when I think of an exhorter, I think of uh, Pastor Ed Young, the pastor of Second Baptist Church, a big mega church in town. That guy is in his, his 80s, but he is like the Pied Piper. When he gets in his mind that the church ought to be doing something, he gets up there and he starts talking about this, and he will have tens of thousands of people joining in with him. He is so good at exhorting people. He can teach, but he also has the gift of exhortation because 
pastors have to have both gifts. They have to be able to teach. That's one of the requirements of a pastor, that they have to be able to teach. But a pastor also has to be able to exhort, to get other people following along with them. And, and so he has this gift to be able to get people to follow along with him. Uh, it says, uh, he who leads with diligence. So there's this leader. And I think of my pastor, his name was Del, Delmore Brosma, when I was in graduate school. This guy was amazing. He was a professor of entomology, insects, at, at, at the university. But he would be a pastor most of the time. And he was a pastor of a, of a church, and, and uh, uh, we met right by campus. And this guy just demonstrated everything. He would be, we'd have these early meetings. So if you led a small group, which I did, we had meetings once a week uh, at 6 a.m. We would meet as as small group leaders. And so so we would do that. We'd get together in the, in the, and, and, and we'd meet together. If you were an elder in that church, you also had another meeting each week at 6 a.m. And Dell was always there and he had prayer meetings. He was leading by example. I learned so much from that man. I wanted to be around him all the time. He and I would just get together to pray. I just wanted to be around the man because I wanted to learn to be like him. I wanted to be like Delmar Brosma. He's still alive. And, uh, um, uh, and we talk occasionally on the phone. I learned so much from that man over the four and a half years that I was there in graduate school. And I just wanted to be around that. And what I would do is I would find people that I really admired them, and I would make myself their friend. And I would, I would be around them. I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to learn how they did what they did. He was always waking up early. His kids were terrific kids. And uh, uh, he was leading a, a, a church uh, as a pastor. And he was being a professor. I wanted to learn how to do that. That, for me, was just a terrific model. This is what I wanted to, to learn to do. And so these who lead with diligence, that they themselves have to be diligent because you're, you, you, they have to show this example. And so, so then, it, then it says, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There are some people that can really show mercy. That, that people are hurting and, and they just, their heart just goes out to them. And I was talking with Shireen and I said, who should I, what example should I use for, 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 uh, um, uh, showing mercy. She says, Laura McJilton. I said, oh yes, Laura McJilton. Laura was a student in this class more than 20 years ago. She was a graduate student at Rice, and uh, so she got her PhD from Rice, and then she went to Cornell and did a postdoc, and then she worked for Intel for, I don't know, six or seven years, both in the U.S. and overseas, then came back and went to, uh, I think it was Northwestern? or Berkeley Law School and became a patent lawyer. So now she's a patent lawyer in Boston. But she has a gift of mercy. My son is in Boston and when he moved to, to, to Cambridge, she, she's in Boston. She had tons of food purchased waiting for him and hot meals waiting for him. This is just a college guy moves in there and she just remembers us and just blessing him. When he was not feeling well, she again just just sending food to his home. She has a gift of mercy, but it says mercy with cheerfulness because here's what happen, can happen to people who have this gift of mercy: they can start they can start feeling bad for the person to the extent that they start picking up the pain of all of these people that they're showing mercy to. And so it's saying when you have this gift of mercy, you have to particularly be careful that you can maintain this attitude of cheerfulness. 
you have to maintain this. You can't, you can't identify with them so much that you get pulled down by it. You have to maintain an attitude of cheerfulness. For example, if you're a pastor of a church, think of the junk that you have to see. You see marriages breaking up all around you. You see marital unfaithfulness happening in members of your church. You see deaths, people dying all the time. And it's not just old people. You've got to do funerals of young people who have overdosed or of young people that have been run over by drunk drivers. You have so much you have to deal with. I don't think I could handle that. But So they have to be able to do that. They have to be able to go into hospitals and talk with parents whose small children are dying. I mean, the pain that they have to see. You have to somehow begin to separate yourself from that pain as if, much like physicians often have to do. You have to show mercy and kindness, but you have to begin to separate from that. And so there's gifts in it. God gives gifts to people to be able to do these sorts of things. These are spiritual gifts, and these are found in the body of Christ. You may only have one spiritual gift, but you get into the body of Christ, you see all of these different gifts functioning. And you're like, this is terrific. Terrific. You see these, these people serving in church nurseries and serving little kids and reading them their stories and going through with them with their verses and investing their lives. These are lots of them down there. They don't get paid anything. They just do this because they feel called to do this and they're pouring their lives into this. That's why when I saw these people pour their lives into my family members, I all the more wanted to be a part of a church. Because they are blessing me so much. All these, you, you look around, some of the people volunteering, they are CEOs. We have several very big CEOs. I'm not talking CEOs of a company of three people. I'm talking CEOs of a company of thousands, thousands and thousands of people in this church. You'll see them picking up chairs. You see them leading these little, little Bible studies for fight for it and things like this. They're CEOs. They don't get paid for this, and, and their time is really valuable. But to them, to them, they invest their time. This is what happens in the church. If you are without a job, if you ever find yourself without a job and you need a job, I'll tell you what I tell people all the time. You start serving in the body of Christ, and you pick up chairs, you clean up, you do everything. Somebody's going to see you and say, hey, I want to hire you. They're going to hire you in, in their work. You serve in the body of Christ, you will get hired. This functions. You use your spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. If you do not know the Lord, it is very hard to exercise the spiritual gifts because you get worn out very fast. When you use your spiritual gift and you say, I'm going to do it for these people, for these people, for these people, you'll be worn out. If your service is only to serve other people, you get worn out. It must be to serve the Lord. Because it's from Him that you get strength. You will get burned out. You will get burned out if you do not know how to serve the Lord. And and just because you have a spiritual gift doesn't mean you're at the level of others. I'll give you an example. Shireen has the biggest gift of hospitality of anyone I've ever seen. I mean, that woman will just throw things together all week. She'll be planning these meals and doing these things. And then she's bringing food to people. It's not like she's even working. I mean, she just likes doing it. When we left, when we moved out of Indiana, um, another woman wanted to pick up the small group that, that we were moving out of and do everything that Shireen did. Like after three weeks, she was wiped out. Her heart was there, but she couldn't do it to the level that Shireen was doing it. You can't always do 
your gift to the level that other people might have that gift, but you exercise that gift more and more and God will give you more of it. But you find in the body of Christ, people have different levels of their ability in this gift. It's just like musical ability. There, yeah, you might be able to play the clarinet, but you know, you can't all play excellent clarinet. I mean, some people really are good at this, and there's different levels. There's different levels of gifts. But as you exercise it, it's interesting that God gives you more as you exercise this. And it's all for Jesus. It is for Jesus. Lord, I serve you. I serve you. As I do this, as I exercise my gift in blessing others, this is ultimately for my Lord, who gave himself for me. And God has promises for us. He has promises for us that that, uh, uh, that are there for us. And so Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I have to die to myself. This is not about Jim Tour. This is not about the comfort of Jim Tour. I am busy about serving the body of Christ. As long as he has given strength to my body, and I well realize that there will come a day when I will not have the, the physical strength to do this, when Shireen will not have the physical strength to do this anymore, there will come a day. But while we have our strength, we are just going to pour it out for the Lord. And anybody that I've known who says, well, I have to save up my strength so I can kind of enjoy my retirement, as soon as they retire, they die. They die. If you try to save up something for yourself, you're going to die because... But unless you die to yourself, unless you die to yourself and say, this is not about me anymore, this is not about me, then you give of yourself and you're blessed over and over again. They used to say to Charles Spurgeon, because he would preach ten times a week, they would say, oh, our pastor's going to, going to wear himself out. He'd say, this doesn't wear me out. He says, this doesn't wear me out. He says, what wears men out is preaching to sleepy congregations. And, uh, and, and then he'd say, and if it does wear me out, he says, I would gladly give my life over and over again to do this. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to his to life eternal. If you love your life and it's all about you and all about hitting an early retirement so you can have your boat and you can go fishing and you can have your ranch, you're going to lose your life. You will lose your life. If not physically, you'll certainly lose it spiritually. It's not about you. It is not about you. It is all about serving the Lord. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, Jesus says this, if anyone serves me, John chapter 12, verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus was about to go to the cross. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. And whoever, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You get in the mode of serving within your gift, and God is going to bless your schoolwork, He'll bless your marriage, He'll bless your family, He'll bless your relationships, He will bless your career. He'll give you creativity, if that's what you need in your career. He'll give you the diagnosis for the patient before anyone else sees it. He'll give it to you. Because He promised it. He said, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I mean, think about this. It's not an angel will bless him. No, it's the Father. It's like God, the creator of the universe, says, stand back. We're going to bless that person today. Because his son said, this is what will happen. 
my Father will honor you. This is the gifts that are exercised in the body of Christ. If you're not in relation to the body of Christ, you can't exercise these gifts. There's no way you can do it. There's nobody to exercise the gifts upon. You have to be in relation to the body of Christ. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you, reach out to me, send me an email, and I will, I will, uh, uh, I will meet with you. Tour at drjamestour.org. Tour at drjamestour.org. I will meet with you, we'll get together, and you'll get saved. Just, and get this, get this thing done, and then you can begin to serve. Then you will begin to unlock the power for service. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you so much for your word, for the grace of God, which is poured out through your word. Thank you, my Lord. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would exercise the gifts that you have given them, that they would be trying things out to see where is their role, where should they engage, and that as they exercise their gift, that you would give them more and more and more of it. Oh Father, do this great work, I pray do this work in their lives, that they would be a blessing to the body of Christ. Father, that in this church, in this body, that they would serve and be a blessing to many, and that as they go out, that these would be good seeds that would be sown all over the world to bless the body of Christ. And that, Father, as they serve Jesus, I know that you will honor them as they serve Jesus. Let them be active in serving Jesus. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for transforming our minds so that we can be more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.